Okay, so I am here with the the famous Russell Rhodes from the Russell Rhodes team out with uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Russell, you've been my idol for a number of years, and I'm so excited to have you on my podcast today. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Willie. The myth, the legend. Um, and what I mean by that, I mean, we, we met, I know, uh, back early 2000, 2001, we were in a, a conference, real estate conference together when I met you. And uh, ever since that day, you know, we've always kept in contact. We've always reached out to each other over the years. And uh, you've done a great job. And uh, it's something I wanted to talk to you about today on this podcast. Because I think overall, out of all the teams that I've seen out there, and there's a lot of good teams out there, uh, Russell, your team has been one of the Right, right there at the top, if not the top, uh, from a standpoint of uh, just productivity, recruiting and retention and what you've done with your team, uh, but just all the different things that you guys do that are so innovative. I'm hoping that we can uh, talk about that and share a little bit about that on today's uh, call. Um, but before I start, Russell, give me a little background. I know you live uh, in, in the DFW there in Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, you've been there since, what, 1976? You got a beautiful yeah. wife, Mandy, three beautiful kids as well, sons. Um, tell me a little background about yourself and how you even got into real estate. Sure. Well, my background is my, uh, my mother's been in real estate since uh, 76, 77, 78, something like that. Mm -hmm. My dad was a custom home builder, so I was always around the real estate, if you will. Uh, I went to TCU, uh, got a degree in finance, worked for a company called Arthur Anderson, which was a big eight accounting firm, also in the consulting division, did that for four years, then I worked for PepsiCo, then I uh, ran an apparel company, and then I, um, uh, by the time my oldest son was five, he had lived in four states, my wife had had it, he's like, look, we're not raising our family this way, we're going to get put, and I stay put, and I said, when you work for a company, you got to go where the opportunity is. And she yeah. said, you create your own opportunity. So that's when we moved back to Dallas, and that was in 2000, May of 2000 is when I got my license. Uh -huh. And I've uh, been selling real estate ever since. So you started off at a, as an individual agent, correct? Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I started off with a Remax, and then after about a year or so, I switched over to KW. And then my, uh, and then I saw that I could really build a real company rather than just to have a sales job. And so then my mother left and she came and joined me. And then a couple of years later, my dad stopped building and he came and joined me and kind of went on from there. Well, you know, it all starts that way, right? We all start as individual agents and uh, our, our stories are pretty similar from a standpoint of being an individual agent and then being a small team and then a bigger team. Uh, right. And then you really just, you know, took off with it. Uh, and I get a lot of questions, a lot of um, agents that I talk to, especially uh, here locally, but also my coaching members, like they want to start a team, right? I want to get a team. Everyone wants to have a team. But then when they get a team, uh, it's uh, not the experience that they thought. And then they say, well, I never want a team. I never want to be responsible for people, right, uh, once right. they have it. Uh, but there's a certain way of doing it and knowing your background um, you are very, very good with numbers, and obviously, you know, your background and your prior profession uh, definitely helped you with that. Um, right. but, but I wanted to talk to you about, you know, people who want a team, maybe kind of go back to that start when you first started it. What was most important? How did you get your, your team concept, or why did you go from an individual agent to starting to build a team? What was the, the premise behind that? What I was really looking for was leverage, <clears throat> and so my – Initial thought was not necessarily that I was wanting to grow a big team, 
But what I realized was that um, I wanted to focus on the things that I like to do. And I wanted to um, um, focus on the things that were most dollar productive. Mm -hmm. So I knew, so I started off more administratively. <coughs> I, very, I, I was only in the business uh, maybe um, two months and I hired my first assistant. Wow. I didn't have any, you know, it's not like I needed it, but what I did need, I didn't need them to help me manage all my business. What I needed to help them help me with was starting to put together all my systems and procedures and creating my website and all my other things so that I could focus on going out there and physically working with clients. Right. And so that was more my mindset. And then as I started doing more and more listings, I started off getting one assistant and then I got another assistant. Um, and then I realized that, um, um, that then I got a buyer's agent and kind of went on from there. You know, that's a great point. And um, I did the same thing and I had a lot of success with it. Uh, and it's because I had learned from a mentor before um, one of the mistakes that a lot of agents make when they want to get a team is that they actually hire another agent like themselves, right? Another right. buyer agent or someone that's just going to come work on their team and they don't really help them with the administrative part. And it's so true that uh, all of those little things, like even though we can do it and, you know, we, we can find ways to do it, it's not dollar productive for us to be doing it. And we can make a lot more money doing the other things that we know, prospecting, building our database, calling our clients, going on listing appointments, going with buyers, and yeah. knowing negotiations too, right? That's what we really uh, excel at, and that's where we make the big money on. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So if, let's just go back to the, to the admin person. If someone's looking to hire an admin person to start, how do they find that person and what should they be doing? Sure. Well, what we did was, it, or what I did was, it, the one person I, I went through two or three administrative people in the first two months mm -hmm. and found a good one. And then that good one is now, as you know, Tiffany, who I've had now for 19 years, right? Yeah. So I was very, you know, the expression of, of quick, or was it uh, slow to hire, quick to fire? Yeah. <clears throat> Mine was at the very first, probably more quick to hire quick to fire until I had the right one. I had a boss one time who said that he'd put his assistants outside his door. He'd give them a project. He'd come out and depending on their thoughtfulness and how they did it, he'd either fire them that day or not. And it was that quick until he found the right ones. Now I'm not advocating that per se. And I think one thing you should look at is maybe doing like a disc profile and think about what is that um, um, the characteristics that you're looking for in assistant. What I was looking for was someone who was strong graphically that could help me create the time, my, 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 um, uh, my flyers and things like that. So mm -hmm. I wanted I could do like Photoshop, someone that was proficient in Excel and Word, et cetera, the Microsoft packages, um, so that I wouldn't have to worry about any of that, nor is that my strength. Right. And then I was just going to say that, like, it's someone that's doing the opposite things that either you don't know about or you're really not that good at. Have someone that comes in that's better than you, right? And those, those items. So, um, so that's great. So now you start marketing yourself, you're getting out there. And I know that um, you were really zeroing in on your area and did a lot of geographic farming, right? As one of your big things of, of, of uh, getting your business off the ground. What are some things that you did then, and what are some things that you did then that are still working now, uh, let's say just in the geographic farming uh, type of prospecting? If what I would suggest to folks, Willie, and what, what I did, which really helped, is uh -huh. that we were in a, sub, uh, we were in a master planned community that is where I lived, and 
and there was different sections to it. And I was in the neighborhood, was an, the overall section was called Wellington, and the area that I lived in was in called Hillcrest. And the range, price ranges in our overall master plan community was somewhere between 300 to about 400,000. And what I did was I first focused on that one little area until I started getting some listings. Then when I did, I start, and I started getting some money, then, and altogether, Wellington had about uh, 2,200 homes, and the Hillcrest, where I was at, had about 400 homes. So I, I, I've always been very hyper-local. Uh, I've got my dog in the background here. Yeah, it's okay. It's a family-friendly show. If I could give someone some, some words in, or encouragement or some thoughts, what I would do if I was looking at geographically farming or really even growing your business is the tighter knit, the, the tighter geographically the area is. And I believe the smaller the yards where your signs do look bigger than life. Right. And what I did was, is I focused on this one little area. Once I started getting some clients there, there was people that were in that neighborhood I was in that was moving up to $600,000 houses. And so then I started, and then as I started selling them houses in the more expensive areas, and I started marketing over there. There's people coming up from the $200,000 homes to the three to four. Once I started getting a few of those in, then I started marketing over there. And then I just kind of branched into all of Wellington. And, and you know, I think, you know, you and I have talked before that um, I was selling anywhere from 40 to 60 homes a year in Wellington. And I was doing over 500,000 GCI in Wellington and just within four or five years, um, I was selling 60 homes a year and the next closest agent sold four. Wow. Right. And it was all just by taking, because then, but when your signs are so spread out, Willie, that um, um, you don't really have a presence. The mm-hmm. more dense geographically you are, the more they start seeing your signs everywhere, and it starts creating a snowball effect. Yeah, and you, you taught us that, too. You actually came out to our, uh, our agency and actually spoke at one of our kickoff events that we had a couple of Januarys ago, and you sh- shared with us your, your whole um, sign the way you did their signs, the way you would go after a community, uh, the postcards and all that. And um, uh, some agents that apply that and have had great success with that. So thank you for that, for coming on out. Um, But what were, what would be some success for agents to do that? I mean, right now in today's time, people say that direct mail is dead and um, I don't really see that. Uh, I just wanted to get your opinion on what your thoughts are on that. You know, Willie, you and I have had a lot of conversations over the years about direct mail, and um, I, I think if you're going to do direct mail, you've got to be very intentional. I think sending a random postcard into an area and not doing it thoughtfully and systematically um, I think is a mistake. I don't send out any postcards unless I have a plan to dominate that neighborhood that I'm sending them to, and then I have a very thoughtful and structured plan of how and when I send those out. So for example, if I'm going, if I'm geographically farming in your area, I would send uh, a newsletter once a month and then I'd do one or two postcards a month in that area showing another home that I sold, you know, at sold it in three days at 99.3% of asking price and kind of flag it. Always, always, always have a call to action for a, you know, for a, a, uh, for a free online market analysis, go to blah, 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 you know, go to them to URL. Um, um, so there's all that kind of stuff. But what I, what my contention is, is that do not spend money on marketing something unless you're planning on dominating it, assuming it's going to take you at least six to nine months before you can get your first listing. 
if you can't, and you should be able to do it sooner than that. But if, but if you don't have the money to go into more of a, I say a longer term, which in real estate a year is like a longer term. Right. If you don't have the money and the resources to do that and the commitment, don't spend the money is my, is my suggestion. No, I, and I agree. You know, it's funny because after you said that, some agents did try it and they did the same thing. Like you said, they would. They did it for a month, did it for two months, and they said, you know what, I didn't get anything from this. Russell doesn't know what he's talking about. This sucks and I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm like, you, you forgot that Russell told you to do it for 12 months or don't do it. So right, don't right, come right. to me and say you only did it for two months and get results. Try it for 12 months. Right. So now that we've had a couple of years under our belt, the ones that have been doing consistently, Russell, every month are getting yeah. results from it. That's great. <clears throat> That's great. Right. You know, I believe now, Willie, as you get in, well, depending on what happens with the whole coronavirus thing, um, um, if the market ever gets, like right now, I honestly don't think it's going to be that tough, depending on how many people lose jobs and blah, blah, blah. And I think there's a variety right. of things we get into. But um, if the market does get more difficult, people are going to be looking for the experts, as opposed to right now in our area, people, you know, your brother gets his license last week, all of a sudden they're going to use him just, be, you know, because they don't think they need the expert. When the market right. gets tougher, they think they need the expert. You need to be branding yourself as you're the expert. And when you consistently get it out there to them, they then, you know, like the whole Hobbs and Herder or whatever it was, you know, the whole story about how they sent those postcards out. And, and so they send out Fred Smith, who didn't even live in the area, and, and started marketing for a year. And I'll sit next to you know, they asked the, the, the consumers, they did a poll, who's the top agents in the area? And they said Fred Smith. Well, Fred Smith didn't even exist. Right. But it was because of the marketing, but it was over a consistency of time and the repetition that they then created this brand awareness that didn't even really exist. And, and I believe that if you're the, the um, to me, geographical farming is the long-term play that will sustain itself even no matter what happens in the market, but it's a longer-term play rather than a quick internet lead that you buy and then it's gone. Uh, great point. And uh, you're right, perception's reality, right? So people believe what they see. And if you're not yeah. out there, I tell my agents all the time, if you're not doing these things or you're not on social media, you're the secret agent, right? No one knows who you are and you'll yeah. never be successful if you're not going to market yourself. So, uh, so I know geographic farming was just one of them. Uh, if I had to say your top three, I mean, geographic farming, uh, you've always said that was one pillar that you did consistently over time that je definitely penetrated and had, once you had one development, you went to another development and you kind of kept growing from there. Um, yeah. What are, what are two more that you had that you felt that were really good for you as, as far as lead generation pillars? Well, my other one was, but I guess I don't, I guess it wouldn't be considered lead generation, but it was all the repeat right. business, right? The, the, the past client, will, I'm sure we'll probably get into that later. If I, if I was agents right now, the other big area I'd be focusing on is open houses. We've been having a great success with open houses, Willie. Uh -huh. And you no, know, but part of it is is being really prepared at the open house so that you know some people they just kind of show up. Oh, I'm supposed to be at one, two, three Main Street, and they go there and they are not thoughtful and ready. Right. What, what we have found is the way to be the most successful is to go to that house ahead of time, look at the pros and cons, and anticipate what buyers, what potential buyers might be saying they like and don't like about it, and yep. what they like find other solutions to it. So I could say, oh, you'd say, oh, well, we really wanted a downstairs master. We really wanted a pool. Oh, have you seen the house over at 123 Main Street? Oh my God, it's so fantastic. 
would you like me to text you over that address and some pictures, Willie, and look at it and tell me if that looks of interest to you as you're leaving the open house? Now I got your number. I send it over. I'm starting to engage. You say, oh, I don't like this. Well, what about that? And we get into Zoom, et cetera, on how I'm using it now to work with buyers, and I'm really creating an additional level of connection that we never had before. But I believe that I've got to get a way to get in front of you to show I have market knowledge, show you a quick response, keep you engaged. That's mm -hmm. how I get you. I for me, this whole internet thing is a very hard way to really connect and very expensive, right? Um, um, for me, if I can just get in front of you and show market knowledge and 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 and, and consistency and creating a having a connection with you, um, I know I have a higher probability of converting you and turning you into a client. That's so true. You know, here in New York now, because of the coronavirus, and we're actually taping this as we're going at the tail end of it. We're actually coming out of yeah. it here and going into phase one. But uh, we can't do open houses in New York, right? So now we're using technology like Zoom and those type of things to do. Like we just started a live at lunch on Fridays where we open up four homes. And uh, every 15 minutes, uh, Russell, we have it open on a live feed. And then it goes to the next agent, next agent. And we've had really good success with that. Uh, but you're right, though. It's it's the open houses attract buyers. Open houses will attract people out there. And like you said before, it puts you in perspective from a standpoint of you being the expert, you being an authority of someone that knows what they're doing um, selling a property. Yeah. So um, I know you said, you know, with the, the COI in the past clients in the referrals, I think we should really go there now because I know that's a huge piece uh, of both of our businesses where most of our business comes from repeat referral business because uh, we're not transactional agents, right? We we go ahead and spend a lot of money on marketing. We get them in, but once we get them into our uh, into our database, uh, we continually do things with them and drip on them and and create certain type of events uh, to have people still know, like, and trust us. Be top yeah. of mind with them, so that the next time they're thinking about real estate, or sometimes uh, you know they're in a conversation where they're talking real estate, they're going to think about us and refer us. So. Right. Um, I know you've done a lot of different things uh, with client events and, and all kinds of things that we, we've learned from you as well. Uh, what, do we, what would you say is the most effective now when it comes to things that you do for your clients to stay top of mind with them here in 2020? Well, you know, the, 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 so, so, so let's say prior to coronavirus, mm -hmm. right? Let's assume that we're coming out of this, which I do believe in Dallas anyway, I believe in the next two or three months, we're going to be pretty much back to normal, I'm hoping, right? Yeah. Uh, but we're definitely ahead of you guys are right now as far as where we're at because we didn't get hit as hard as you guys. Um, but the, so if, if I could, let me respond to last year because I think that will be the new norm for, will need to be our norm, is that probably there's three major events that we did a year, Willie, mm -hmm. uh, really created some great client interaction and almost created more of a community or almost like it's part of a club, like the Rhodes Team Club, right? Of, 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 um, and in our town where we represent um, five, uh, the next five agents combined sell less in Flower Mound than we do, as an example. Okay. Last right. year we sold 742 homes. We did 238 million in sales, did almost about 7 million GCI. And, um, the and for us it's like a big community thing so we do a thing at thanksgiving this last year um we had 970 something people come into our office to pick up thanksgiving pies it's a big event for us because we have all of our agents physically in the office and so when 
the per, when John Smith comes up, they, they look and they see that, oh, that was Willie's client. Willie, you then are, are calling back, hey, Willie, John Smith's up front. You go get the pie. And ahead of time, you would have, we sent a thing, you do want apple or pecan. You, you said, you're, you know, Fred Smith said it was pecan. So you go get the pecan pie and bring it to him, right? It's actually apple, pumpkin, and um, apple, pumpkin, and, and um, apple, pumpkin, and pecan. And so then you would, then you would bring it up and then you would then engage with him. Uh, Carrie, one of my agents, got six listing appointments from her clients coming up there because she would engage with them. And she, you know, we, we do a, we do a, a um, kind of keeping track of who gets appointments from this, like two weeks later. Uh -huh. He then engaged with someone and then got an appointment. She had six listing appointments, actually six appointments, four listings, two buyers from it that she got from clients referring people to her or about to now go do something. Um, so we do that. We also do a thing where we do um, popcorn that we have delivered to their houses of the popcorn cans for Christmas. And then at Easter, we had 1,700 people, which also included the kids, um, to our offices and we had like a petting zoo. We had pictures with East with the real bunnies for the, you know, and or to, to go send pictures to grandma and grandpa and stuff with the kiddos. We had, um, you know, face painting and games and blah, blah, blah. That's a great way of connection. And then we, then we also have a client appreciation program where we have moving trucks and, and margarita machines and snow cone machines and chocolate fountains and chafing dishes and tables and chairs and all this other stuff. So like our moving trucks were used, um, both of them was used between 300 and 322 days. One was 310, actually one was 322 days last year that it was used, right? Three margarita machines used almost consistently. Uh -huh. um, so what we do is create a reason for the client to call us instead of us having to call the client. It's a way of law of reciprocity where we're doing something for them and then they in turn want to do something for us. Yeah, you know, that's uh, the Easter event. We started doing that a couple of years ago. A couple of agents started it, and it was so small. You know, the, the, the first event was a little small. Then the next year was a little smaller. Russell, I got to say, by year three, I mean, we, we got to pick a different venue because there was so many people that came, uh, so many kids that came. And, uh, you know, we took the advice you said not to have uh, girl bunnies and, and boy bunnies uh, together, right? You, <laughs> you, made, you made it so that – yeah, just stick with the boys, right? So, uh, for for obvious reasons, but um, no, it's been a great event, and um, and we did the pies too. You know, that was an idea that we got from you a long time ago. Actually, I came out to see you, and we talked about it, and we tried it. We've been doing that now, jeez, uh, I want to say probably eleven, twelve years, and we did just over four hundred, I think, fifty pies last year. Wow. And you're right. The activity that it brings for us right after that and the appointments, it just starts, it builds the pipeline. But even better, um, it really deepens that relationship with that client. And you're right, it is a, the law of reciprocity. I mean, I, I can't believe, and, I, and you told me to watch for this, how many people come to us, snow, rain, whatever it is that night that we're doing this, uh, for an $8 pie, Right. Right. But then I realized, like you said, it's not the pie that they're coming for. It's the relationship, right? They want to yeah. come. They want to be part of the gang. They want to be part of the club. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's some, some people that come in, uh, some clients with their kids that I remember taking pictures of them when they were like six, seven years old. Now they're yeah. in high school, right? Now they're going to college. And we yeah. take those pictures and it's just really fun to do. But uh, so not only is it effective, but it's very fun. And I, I think it's the right thing to do for sure. 
You know, also one thing that's thinking about with kids is we also send things out to like for the uh, your your kids' birthday. So you're my client, Willie. You got three kids. I'm sending a five dollar gift card to Target to your kids for their birthdays, right? You want to find a way to connect to parents, get go through their kids, right? right. Think their kids. Then we also send things to the parents, et cetera. So there's lots of different touches that we do um, to let the clients know that we care. And it's not all about, hey, do you know someone thinking about buying or selling? My first question is, what can I do for you? Not what can you do for me? Right. Uh, that's awesome. Awesome. All right. Um, let's go into just the, the, the recruiting side. If someone was looking to, I mean, obviously you said, you know, get the admin side of it going first. Then you want to start bringing in, you know, your buyers, uh, in, buyer agents into your team. Mm-hmm. How do you find these people? How do you recruit these people? Are you taking on new agents? Are you taking on experienced agents? That's always been a big question as to which way to go. Sure. Um, to me, it depends on where you're at on building your team. I was in your shoe. If I was an, a, a just starting a team, I would not hire or bring on a brand new buyer's agent because a brand new buyer's agent is going to take a lot more handholding training um, than what I'm probably going to have time to do because I'm going right. to be out there trying to generate. You know, you've got you're at the first when you're first starting your team, you're wearing a lot more hats right. than you are when you know. Like right now, I have uh, 37 agents on my team, 22 administrative people, right? Well, it's a different, I can bring on new, brand new people because I have a system set up to train and develop them. Mm-hmm. If, at the very start, I tried to bring on new people and that was a big mistake in my opinion on my team because I didn't have the time to train and develop them. <clears throat> and so if, if I was a uh, uh, starting a team right now, my first buyer agent would probably be someone that probably sold somewhere around five to eight homes last year. Um, I would be wanting to find someone that, um, um, that, that if I could help supplement their business where I could, if I could represent, help them get another 30, 40% of their additional closings this year, then I'd be a blessing to them and it helps supplement and kind of get them over the hump a little bit more to make more money. Um, but and somebody doing those kind of units, probably minimum, I would hire someone who have to do at least four units, at least four homes last year, and at least then done it for a couple of years. Because the more of that, the less handholding I'm going to have to do, and the more confident they're going to have whenever they get my leads from my sign calls, etc., that they'll hopefully have more confidence to go and run with it. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, you know, we, we do the same thing. We have training in place, so we're able to now handle uh, new agents coming on board and. Uh, I'm grateful to say a lot of them have, as long as they follow the systems, right, they have great success. Uh, it's those that come on and they don't do their push-ups, right? They don't do the homework, and uh, those are the ones that really struggle with it. Um, do you have any minimums on your team, like they have to do so much in production? I mean, I know that um, some teams do that and some teams don't. What do you, what do you say about that? <clears throat> you know, I think one thing for the people out there is a lot of, agents will say, oh, we have minimums, and if they don't, they, they'll get rid of them. And most people, I'm just trying to keep it all real, yeah. they don't normally adhere to that, right? right. You and I both know that, Will. Everybody's yeah. making, yeah, if they don't do at least 24 deals a year, then we kick them off the team. Right. And then you, how many units do you do last year? How many people on your team? Well, that only averages 14 per agent. So I thought you just said you kick, you know, it's like, so not being truthful, right? Right. The, the, the reality for us is, except for about, I guess I have two people that if you've been with me for at least a year, um, sold less than 
15 to 17 units last year, and probably only two or three. Um, for the, if you didn't do at least 18 deals with us last year, uh, I'm sorry, um, in, in the first, after one year, the second year, if you don't do at least 18 units a year, then you're, you're poached off the team. Um, right. Unless there was something unique or special about maybe you had a sick parent, there's something unique in your life that caused that event, then right. we're not hard-nosed about it, right? But if it's just, you know, there was no unusual circumstances that would have caused the lower production because, you know, everybody thinks, and, and really I think it's a big mistake of people that are setting up these teams thinking, well, it doesn't cost me anything, right? Well, it costs you a lot. It costs you the leads that you're generating, the opportunity costs. You cannot look at it that way. Right. And I can tell you also, in my opinion, a part-time agent on your team is a mistake. Mm-hmm. You need some real estate as a 24-7 business, not a part-time business in my, in my mind. Right. And you're going to have someone on your team. They need to be as committed as you are. And if they're not, they shouldn't be on your team. That's my view. No, that's great. No, that's great advice. And uh, listen, uh, I, I hear the same thing, you know, and, and there's no such thing as free just because the agent's there. They're taking a spot. There's a lot of time that goes into it. There's, there's hard costs. There's soft costs. There's a lot of different costs that are involved to it. So, so when you have someone that's doing so minimum 18, and I know you have some on the top end too, what's your top agent? How many units do they sell about I think my top person did uh, 67 units. They did um, roughly 24 million in volume. Okay. I, have, uh, I have four people that did over 500, about over about 450,000 GCI. Um, um, I have, uh, I think if you look at my, all together I probably have at least, um, 15 agents that make 200,000 or greater. That's awesome. That's great. So with that, I mean, obviously we always talk about accountability and execution and how important that is. How do you keep them accountable? How do you, how do you get them to execute on, on getting that, those type of results? Sure. Well, one thing that we do is that, you know, again, it's a different story, Willie, as, as you know, because you're have a bigger, t- you know, you're, you know, we, we do similar type of business, but, um, and, and I just want people to get the wrong read on these things. Um, it's right now I've got managers who are managing the sales force. And mm-hmm. so having weekly meetings with the agents, I would say if I were talking to, and most teams out there, as you know, Willie are people that have like two or three agents, maybe that's probably more of a normal team, right? You and I are kind of a little bit right. different but, uh, from other folks. You got two or three people. My thought is what you should uh, what you should be doing is meeting, talking to them once a week. You should be maybe meeting for like fifteen minutes, like we have for our team. We have um, we're, we're meeting with once uh, fifteen minutes once a week, and we're going over who's our A, B, and C buyers. What we don't what we do is we don't allow any of our team leaders to or team uh, agents to have more than a hundred agent or hundred potential clients in the pipeline at any one time. Uh, I'm not talking about past clients. I'm talking about, you know, people that haven't sold something to yet. And if they have more than that, they have to take, they have to call out which ones above that that get sewn back into the pool, if you will, or to the pond for other agents to fish from. Right. Mm -hmm. So different things that we do to help hold them accountable. But what I would suggest is, is that um, while we become most effective is working on your scripts and dialogues. And we do that every morning in the huddles. With, with newer agents, or if you do less than a certain amount of production, 
then what we do is we require our agents to be there from nine o'clock to 11 o'clock in the morning where we work on scripts and dialogues and all that stuff. And then they do prospecting. Um, people, agents on our team that do a certain amount of volume at 24 deals or more a year, um, um, they, do, they do not have to come to the morning huddle. Um, but if they drop below the production, they have to. Our perspective is, is that if you have a better way to do it and you're producing, then you do it your way. If you're not hitting at least this minimum production, then you're going to come back and do it our way until you get it up and prove that you don't have to, you can do it your way. That makes total sense. And, you know, the fact that you said if you're not doing at least 18 and then by second year, like everything you just said, if they're meeting every day and they're doing calls two hours each and every day and you're providing a lot of those leads based off your open houses and off your signs and off your call-ins, uh, if they're not doing that, there's just no way that they're doing the business they should be doing, right? Like they're not executing your plan and your plan right. – by doing that uh, and doing the, uh, that accountability, you have to succeed. And if you don't, then there's something else missing, and it's probably, you know, that they're not really putting the effort in after those hours, right, or after not being in the office. So I definitely see how that could be uh, a challenge there to keep someone that's not doing what you want because you can give those leads to someone else that's going to knock out 24, 30, 50 deals a year. You, you know, really, I think what's so important is – is for you to, first of all, think about if you're doing a team, what value are you bringing to the agent? A lot right. of people want to set up teams, but they're not providing any, all, um, I'm not saying this to you, but because I know you bring a lot of value. So we'll pick right. a different person. But let's say, let's say Joe Smith over here is a one's creating a team. Why would I as an agent want to join his team? What value is he bringing? And I think other people that are on this call right now are also people who are not necessarily wanting to do a team, but maybe thinking about joining one. What you're looking at is is how many li how many listings does that person have that you're thinking about joining their team? How many agents do they have? How many leads do they have coming in? Because there should be a certain number of leads that a team has per agent that they have, right. and you know that number is anywhere I believe from 25 to 50 leads a month per agent that you have. So if I have 500 leads um, coming in a month, then I could maybe support anywhere from five to 10 agents somewhere mm -hmm. right there. I believe and that number would depend on the type of leads that you have. Are they internet leads? So it takes a lot more. Is it sign calls, which you have a higher conversion on? There's a mix of that, right? right. But I believe that agents need to be very thoughtful about the teams they join to see what is, what are they bringing on to them? And at the same time, if you're going to set up a team, what value are you bringing to the agent that's joining you? Is it, I'm just saying, oh, you can be on the Russell Rhodes team, but there's no value? Or is there coaching and development and training and do I have administrative support? And do I have the leads? What are the things that I'm offering them of providing value? Mm -hmm. uh, that's an awesome point. And, you know, it's funny because I was a, a, a single agent, then a small team. Then a large team. We were number one in our, you know, whole MLS here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in 2011, I went more of a brokerage model, as you know. And uh, we still, we're more of a team broker model. I don't even know if that's a new, new way of really saying it. But uh, we're not really a team per se because we want our agents to grow their business within our business. Yeah. But we still give them that team. Um, there's three things that I think that we really do good on. And I think every team has to provide us. And you kind of just touched on it. A, you got to give them the training. You got to give them the coaching, and we do that. I coach them myself personally. 
Uh, my brother Brian does a great job coaching them as well. And we introduce them to a lot of different programs that we've used over the years. That's one. Uh, the second one is lead generation. Like, if you don't know how to prospect or know how to lead generate, you're not going to do well in this business. Yeah. Uh, but we also provide leads for them as well. So we give them company-generated leads, which helps them build their database, exactly what you're saying. And then the third element, which is important, is that it's hard to go out there, right, Russell, to hire an admin person to do all the things that you need them to do. Not yeah. only do you have to hire them, you have to train them, you have to babysit yeah. them, and then you have to pay them. And, yeah. you know, a lot of times uh, agents' income uh, goes up and down. So we provide a third element of support and giving them really good support with great marketing, great administrative support right. to help them do what they need to do, which is just to focus on sales because that's where they get paid the big bucks. Willie, I can tell you that I meet with so many um, agents out there that think they have a team. They are not providing even close to the level of support and the things that you're doing for your team, if you will. And I wish, and, and the agents out there who are thinking about joining one really need to understand and ask the questions, ask the penetrating questions of, if you want, I'm, I'm excited to join you, but tell me, what are you going to do for me? What right. do you offer and provide? And if, the age, and if the team that you're thinking about joining doesn't provide those things, I would think twice about it because I think it's about to be a one-way relationship. It's going to be what you can do for them instead of what they can do for you. Right. And in my mind, being on a team is like a marriage. It's got to be, you, you've got to both bring things to the table, right? And be there together in the good and the bad. So I would just encourage whoever's listening out there to, to also ask those things thoughtful, detailed questions to people who are about joining is what are you providing to me? Because it's, it's got to be a two-way street. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, listen, man, great, great nuggets on this call for sure. I'm going to go back and listen to it and uh, definitely share it with everyone that I can because it's just great stuff and so timely too with everything that's going on now with uh, just real estate in general. You know, it a lot of it has changed, but a lot of it's the same. It's kind of weird, but um, you know, we work with a lot of agents, new agents. We work with a lot of experienced agents as well. Uh, one last question for you, Russell. I mean, if, you know, you were getting into business today, right? And I think it applies to both new and experienced because we have a lot of experienced agents that are really um, uh, rekindling, you know, right? Like re doing a reset on their business because if they stay doing the things they've done all along and they haven't adapted and haven't changed, they're being left behind. So, yeah. right. So a lot of these agents have been in business 10, 15, 20 years. They're starting to say, wow, I better start learning technology. I better start going on social media. Um, what, what is some advice that you would give to agents moving forward? I mean, how do you see, you know, the next five years or so, um, if you were a newer agent come in or an experienced agent, what would be something that advice you would give them to get their business? If they if they don't, they don't feel that their business is where it is at today to move forward and to grow, what do you think is the best advice you can give them to do that? I think first and foremost, Willie, um, to me it's always been the staple of my business in general, and that is you've got to take time to connect with the people and let them know that you care. Take time to show them that you care. Get Take time to understand what their needs are. Um, Willie, I think it's interesting that uh, – I, I was I was on another. I was being interviewed by someone else earlier today out of Florida, and the people on the call were talking about how excited they were about using Zoom and about how they were using it for their these virtual listing appointments and how they had three listing appointments that they were going to do today or tomorrow, mm -hmm. and 
they put, you know, and, they, and they're doing within a three-hour period and how they're so excited about it, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and, you know, you and I used to be involved in a real estate coaching thing before, and one of the guys that was in it was always talking about how proud he was that he could bang out a listing in 30, 40 minutes, and one guy could get up and say he could do it in 30 minutes, and everybody was like, how do I do it in less time? You know, and here I am saying I, I was in a listing appointment for an hour and a half, mm -hmm. right? And I think that the key is, is some people, I think you can use technology to your advantage, but don't use it in a way to make it where you're not creating the connection with the client. <clears throat> One thing, um, Willie, that I've started seeing now of how to incorporate, for example, Zoom, is let's say that you, are, you and your wife, you are my client. What I'd be doing is, is when I send you a list of properties, instead of before I send you a list, tell me, saying, tell me what you want to see. You know what I'm doing now is I'm sending, saying, hey, Willie, can you and your wife pull us up and let's look through that together here. I'll call you at 7 o'clock tonight if that works for you. And let me go through and show you what I like about a couple of these properties. I wanted, I'd love to hear what you guys' thoughts are. And let's kind of walk through those together. And I kind of take, you know, and create a connection where we're online looking at it together where you're looking at my screen and I'm creating that connection. I'm listening to what your wife says and I can respond back. Or, you know what? I hear what you're saying. There's this incredible house. I saw that fits what you just said. Let me see. Hold, hold on a second. Let me pull that up. Let me see. Is this what you're talking about? Yeah. Oh, great. How do you do it to create a connection? Don't use it as a way to be lazy or to be so efficient. Use it as a way, as an extension of a way to further deepen that relationship. And I that is that when I can look like I can see your beautiful face right now, Willie, right? And play <laughs> head, but I don't care. And so <laughs> I see you, Willie. It just makes me happy. Right. And you, you want to use technology as a way to help, not as a way to get lazy or to be more efficient. Use it, deepen the relationship, right? And so what I see happening going forward for agents that are really smart, they're not going to use technology in place of the way that you would connect. You're going to use it to only further enhance that relationship. And for me, that is when I'm sending properties to you, I'm wanting to get online with you and talk through it with you. And I want to hear what your wife's got to say and let's talk through it together as an extension. That's awesome advice. And you're right. That's a great way to leverage that technology, you know, and, and, and we've been, you know, looking at this and, and looking back, like you said, past experience on going on listing appointments. <clears throat> I do the same. I, I, I admit I've been on appointments and I'm so have you sometimes an hour and a half, sometimes two hours. Right. But I find that the more, like you said, deep in a relationship, but the longer you, you uh, work with someone, the longer you get to meet that person, especially initially, you become the salesperson. You go from a salesperson to becoming more of the trusted advisor or the teacher. Yep. And people, again, do business who they know, like, and trust, and that's what they want to do. And I've, I've been able to do that because I always, like you said, critique. We, we talked about this before. If I lose an appointment, I want to know why. Right, I'm calling that person back and saying, "Hey, how? Wh what made the difference there? Why did you choose Russell over myself?" And they'll say, "Well, yeah, Russell did this, this, or that." And and sometimes they're honest, sometimes they're not. But I also call when we gain, and I say, "I know I was up against four other agents. What <laughs> made the difference? Why did you like, or why did you pick us over the other four? And yeah. and it's been that Russell. It's been you know what? You actually took the time. You went through. You explained things to us. You went through your presentation." Um, and you know, you sent us a personal note after like, that was really nice where the other person was here 30 minutes, didn't have a presentation, just basically had their hands in her pocket. What do you want for your house? And you should just list with me because you know, I'm, I'm a top agent. 
And um, so taking that time is so important. And I've, and I've learned that from you and, and other top agents as well. You got to deepen that relationship with that customer from day one or you, you have no chance. Well, Willie, can I share with you a quick story that I yeah, think is absolutely. Um, and this is a shame on me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's the best way to learn is through the problems that we have. And, you know, some people, as myself was two days ago when this happened to me, first thing I was mad and I was offended. And then uh, when I stepped back and put my big boy panties on, I realized that where do I need to accept responsibility in this? Okay. And I think it's a great uh, story that I'm going to be sharing with my team. There was a family that was struggling financially. Uh, he did not have the money to fix his house up to get it through sale. I was referred to them, these people, whatever. I loaned them interest-free, almost $20,000 to get their house ready, as you know I've done with some clients. Um, mm -hmm. Having problems, he had a flat roof in one part of his house and a garage conversion. I spent all this time helping him up there. My dad was a builder, had him over there, did all this stuff. And this was about six years ago. Okay? I could tell that the wife wasn't real keen, as keen on me because I was telling them things they need to do to get their home ready to sell. And she was offended because she thought our house was perfect, right? She needed to fine. Um, but still, we got along fine. We get ready to, we, get, we go through this thing for two months, getting their house ready. I loan them this money. They're going to put their home on the market. He ends up able to refinance or do whatever it is, and they're able to stay in their house, okay? But we had a good, we had a really good relationship. I spent a lot of time over there with them. About six years ago. So then I found out yesterday, yesterday or two days ago from one of my agents who saw them at a party who said that, oh, yeah, they're about to put their home on the market with this other agent. And I'm like, what the heck? And, and, she, and she said, aren't, aren't those the ones you loaned that money to and that you were helping them all that stuff? And I said, yeah, I can't believe it. And I was so mad at them, right? And then I said, after I went from the being a victim for a mm -hmm. second, right. what I did was is, is I, said, um, I said, you know, it's funny. Just because I thought they were my client, they didn't think I was their agent. Because you know what? I haven't talked to them in six years. Wow. Yeah. I spent a tremendous amount of time and money, and they paid me back when he was able to refinance. He didn't have to put the house in the market, and the wife, would, the wife didn't want to sell her house, the whole thing. The husband's right. business fell. Okay? Right. But you know what was interesting, Willie, that I, that I realized after this, after I was mad, because I was so upset that I spent all this money and all this time. But you know what I think agents forget a lot and I forget is that first of all, first and foremost is we think that, that they're our client and that they're mine. I've, I've, I've marked them. That's mine, you know? And the truth is, is they're only, you've got to stay in touch with them. You've got to keep up that relationship because you know, their life moves on in your mind. They're still yours. Whenever they're ready to do something, they're yours six years from now, 20 years from now, because they're yours, right? I marked them. I marked my territory. Right. And the reality is I didn't stay consistently up with them in their lives. Right. Well, their lives moved on and they met somebody else. Right. What did I do to continue that relationship? Right. I didn't do anything. Right. And I deserved what I got. Right. Yeah. And I what I wouldn't want to suggest to agents out there is be figuring out how do you stay intentionally in touch with your clients from people before really do it. Mm-hmm. Because they're meeting other people. You've got to keep the flame ignited, either A, with your past clients, or B, with your past relationships. You have to keep the flame ignited. And if you're not, then you deserve to lose those people, in my mind, just as I did. Yeah. No, it's a great story. Actually, you know, uh, 
Justin Hoffman. I just have I got off a call within the last hour. I was with his team, and he was so fired up, just like you are right now. I could see it. He lost two this week. Same thing. People he thought was his clients hasn't talked to them, and he just lost them. And they were pretty big deals. I mean, double his average sales price. He's right. upset. He's, but you know who he's upset at? Himself. Good for him. Yep. He's upset at himself. He goes, this is not going to happen again. He's been banging the phones, calling his clients, uh, doing a great job with that. But it's the exact story of what you just said. So um, yeah, that's a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, we'll end on that because I think at the end of the day, our success or failure in life is really the relationships that we have with our database, right? And, and the people that we've done business with in our relationships. So uh, if you're not going to be building that database, you're not going to be engaged in that database, I really don't think uh, you could be a career and successful agent uh, if you're not doing those things. Yeah, totally agree. All right, well, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Russell Rhodes. Uh, looking forward to uh, meeting up with you and being out in the Dallas area hopefully pretty soon. But if anyone is looking to refer business to anyone in the Dallas area, anyone looking to buy or sell in the Dallas area, how would they get a hold of you, Russell? Uh, yes, sir. You can either my, my website, you can go into my website, you can go, my, my, my cell phone number is 972 3792 and my email address, easiest is probably russellroads4321 at yahoo.com. There you go. I'd be honored cool. to help them in any way and promise I'll take wonderful care of them. Uh, you do an awesome job. It's definitely on people I refer stuff to because I've heard it time and time again. You're the guy to go to. So, Russell, thank you so much. I appreciate your thank time. You, really. uh, good luck in 2020, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.